And that's like where you have to really watch and make sure that you're not overstaffing and bringing too many kitchen guys in. But it's a fine balance because if you don't give people enough hours, you know, they might leave and go somewhere else. And then you're like, okay, well, now I'm shorthanded, which I mean, this is the state that we're in now. That's you have to be really careful because it's hard to find new people. You're listening to Stories from the Top, an inside guide to better business development. We're here with Brad Weinstein, the owner-operator of Appetites on Main. And for people who may not be familiar, how do you like to describe the restaurant? Um, that's a good question. It's a, just a casual, comfortable American restaurant uh, known for really good comfort food. Uh, we're open late. We serve food late, just lots of TV. So some people think of us as a sports bar. Some people think of us as a lunch place. Some people think of us as a late night spot. Um, you know, after COVID, we really haven't, we used to have entertainment. We don't have much of that anymore. Um, but just like a, a good place to come get a good meal, a good drink and, and feel comfortable. We, we can speak to that. You guys have awesome food. We've done some commercial work with you. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, awesome Rubens. If, <laughs> if you like Rubens, it's worth traveling to get to this place for the room. It's that's, that's seriously what we're known epic. For. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, so um, yeah, you guys are in Main Street at Exton, mm-hmm. a legendary spot. You guys have been there since pretty much the beginning, right? Since the beginning. There was a couple places that were open about a year, like like the main places like uh, Walmart and Sam's Club and Barnes & Noble. And even Sam's Club's not there anymore. And then we came in about a year after that. So this is uh, this December uh, will be our 20th year. Wow, that, that's yeah. impressive. That's pretty impressive for restaurants, too. I know there's a lot of turnover. Absolutely. So I guess you've seen a lot of other businesses come and go. In that <laughs> a time. lot. A lot. Yep, that whole strip that we're on, except for Buka, who's on the one end, everything in the middle has changed at least a couple times. And on the other strip where there used to be like Atlanta bread and like, you know, I think everything has changed hands in, at some point in that. I, I was going to say, I'd love to see like a mm. time lapse of just that street and just watch like yeah. you guys just stay steady. Everyone else around you just popping in yep. and out all these different places. Yep. Yeah, and we know COVID was a huge thing. And before we even dive into that, we just want to start at the beginning. What sure. did you originally go to school for? Um, so that's a good question. I went to college. I went to Moravian College. I went for business management, not really realizing. So my dad, I think that's important I bring up my... So from the time I was four years old, my dad owned a restaurant in Devon called Appetite's Delight. And, um, you know, so I... You know, I would go there as a kid and I loved it or whatever. So that he was in the restaurant industry. And then I went to school, to college for business management. When I came out of school, he was immediately like, you're not working for me. He was like, go do something else, figure what you kind of want to do. And it was probably, and I didn't really understand it because I always thought I probably would just go into the restaurant. And I spent about five years in the financial industry. I worked for a mutual fund company. And then when Appetites on Main was going to open at Main Street and Exton, and he was like starting, he's like, that's when he asked me if I wanted to kind of join him in the business. And so, and that five years, I learned a lot and it was good because I wasn't an owner. I wasn't a boss. I was an employee. And it was like, you know, it's good to see things from everyone's perspective. And I think that taught me a lot. So, so. Yeah. Okay, so you you were what, did you get a degree in anything? Uh, business management. Okay, mm-hmm. so you got a business degree, which mm-hmm. seems to be a common theme of people who end up yeah, owning operations. Yeah. I just wish I would have because I always kind of thought I'd end up in the restaurant industry. I wish I would have like looked more and like you know maybe done a little bit more specifics to the restaurant industry. But mm-hmm. I still learned a lot. You learn a lot marketing and things like that. But maybe a little bit more restaurant specific. But I, I had a lot of hands on learning. So because throughout college and stuff like that, I would work at Appetite Appetites Delight on weekends, especially after I graduated. So you just you learn you learn so much about the business just by being in it and living it for sure. 
it so, was was your dad's business the same one that you're running now or a different no restaurant? so that's a good so appetite like the food concept was like a deli you know um it was like hoagies and cheesesteaks and rubens and you know that food concept but there was no waitresses there was no bar there was so so that it was just like a very like you come in you pick out your chips and your drink and you order from somebody and you know it was like a quick it was a very quick it was a lunch place it was very fast and like you know that's kind of got its name for that and then when main street exxon was opening they wanted a mix of like national chains and local favorites and that's when they invited my dad and you know the offers were like hey we can get you a liquor license and what's funny is that like our patio is our bread and i mean that's what mm -hmm. people love one of the things people love about us and it was one of the last spots available in the shopping center no joke we there's a lot yeah. of things that happen sometimes you're just lucky better than being good and you know because people want to be where you can see us from 100 you want to be visible mm -hmm. nobody really wanted to be back where we were and that's why we you know we were one of the last spots and we got that patio and that's been you know, really uh, one of the reasons we've been so successful, for sure. That's funny you say that, too, because, like, those spots by 100, it's like, they seem like they're less busy than the ones that are tucked uh, away. Uh, I agree. You know? Now that parking lot is huge, so it could seem empty, but but I agree. You know, it doesn't look like you know ever filled up, especially because like I think the ones closest to a hundred are just like I don't know if it's just, I, I think it's what is it Burlington? It keeps changing hands too. I think it was it Michael's. like a Michaels. Yeah, there was like a Models. I think even those have changed hands too. Mm -hmm. So yeah. <clears throat> so it was your dad's restaurant in in that same location that you're in now yes originally yep. and then yep. so what what's the difference um now like when did it change hands well so i mean not to uh my dad passed in 2008 from pancreatic cancer and that's when officially like on paper i became the owner but, but but pretty much from the time that i came in there i mean i always treated the place like it was mine you know and i learned i learned from him and, and stuff like that so you know that's pretty much but like the, the 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 tricky thing was you know, is that we only knew a deli, you know, to, to transition to a place that all of a sudden had waitresses and alcohol and there's liquor licenses and training. And, you know, we, <laughs> there were so many, I mean, I could tell you so many stories. Like, you know, when we first started, we had a couple of hostesses were like, like who came in who clearly worked in restaurants before were like wait you guys don't have a seating chart like you don't have a map of who, who servers in what section like there's so many things that we did wrong you know because like, oh, you just uh, needed to learn it just didn't, from we the needed ground to up. learn and we didn't know you know we, there's certain things that i think that we it was good that we didn't know like for for example a lot of restaurants um have their servers like go in the kitchen and make their own salads and make their own desserts and you know we never did that we didn't even know that was a thing and i'm glad because i think a lot of restaurants get in trouble because servers are so busy you know doing things like that they're not attending to their tables and that was never i we were always like we want our servers out front near the tables making sure they're seeing what's going on and they can be very attentive and that was always a thing for us so sometimes like like i said not doing the norm actually helped us i think so you were able to innovate from the ground up exactly and, and just figure out what worked best for you mm -hmm. sure you said yeah. some people were like asking you why aren't you doing when did you guys realize you were missing some procedures that could be helpful <laughs> Um, just, you know, when people, it really comes down to the people you hire and they're like, Hey, like you should have this. And they, they just, they, they tell you, you go, Hey, why? Or, or people that, you know, challenge you, you know, I had a, I had a, a kid who worked for me, you know, he worked in a lot of restaurants and he would challenge me all the time. It's like, why are we making the food this way? Or why aren't we doing this? And why, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes your first reaction is like, you know, cause this is the way we, and then like you think about where they're coming from and go, okay, maybe this, there is a better way to do it. And that's, if you don't, if the one thing when you're owning a business and you start, and even today, 20 years, if you're not constantly 
constantly asking yourself, what can I do better? How can we improve? How can we make this better? You're going to fail, that, in mm -hmm. my opinion. I think that's really important. I mean, even, again, don't think you know it all. Learn, absorb from people. I mean, I still have, I have young hostesses and go who, who, you know, are doing the job more than me, ringing stuff in and go, hey, be nice if we had this button here. Can we move this here? It'd be a lot easier. And like, you have to listen to, to the people that are, that are on the ground doing the job for sure. And that's really smart too, because you guys have competitors on every corner of every uh, street everywhere. You uh, know, it's absolutely. a lot of choices when it comes to food. So. Absolutely. And I tell myself all the time that every place is busier than we are. And that motivates me because mm -hmm. you don't want to get, you don't, you listen, you, you want to have to, my dad was a very driven, I don't know if he ever really enjoyed it. I Listen, I love that we're busy and the patio is packed and I, I can enjoy it, but you also want to make sure that you don't, you don't rest on your laurels and you don't keep trying to improve. You know, mm -hmm. I think Keep that you know, one of the biggest struggles, or I don't even want to say struggle, but like, is like, how do you stay true to who you are, but also stay relevant and, you know, improve and, you know, get modern with technology and, and attract new customers as well as keeping true to your own. That's a, it's a, it's a tough balance because you don't want to change too much. And then people that loved you for something and you take it away or you do something different, like, well, I don't like this place as much anymore. But you, you try not to turn off the people that have been supporting you, but you also want to always be trying to attract and do things that you can bring in new customers for sure. Mm-hmm. So I was just wondering, do you have any specific stories of like moments in time that really stood out when those learning experiences, you know, like when maybe you really screwed up and, but you learned a lesson from it? Um, and I, I have a funny story just, um, you know, again, sometimes it's better to be lucky. Just one, one thing I was thinking about on, on my drive over here, um, you know, we, we never had Caesar salads at Appetites Delight and we, um, we brought them over to Appetites on Main. And one of the first, I think it might have been the first day we opened, a lady came in and ordered Caesar salad. And my dad was in the kitchen. He goes, oh, my God, we don't have croutons. This is, a, this is a true story. And we're like, okay, you know, like the very standard thing on a Caesar salad. You can't serve a Caesar salad <laughs> croutons. So he takes, he like, th this is like on the fly. The, the ticket was already rung in. And he takes an Italian roll that we get. And he chopped it up and cubed it up and threw it in the fryer and cooked them and, you know, the, and, put it, and put it on top of the salad. Brought it out. Like, you know, 10 minutes later, we, we broke over to the lady, you know, or one of us did and said, hey, how's the sound? She goes, I have to tell you, she goes, these are the best croutons I've ever had. And <laughs> no joke. And I just think about that story uh, all the time. Scratch. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, there's so, there's so many. I'm trying to think, uh, well, okay, uh, here, here's a good example. Like P Pennsylvania is very strict and rightfully so liquor, liquor uh, rules. Well, my dad came up with this idea, like when we open, we're going to do two happy hours. We're going to do one from four to six and one from 10 to 12, you know, every day. You know, well, little did we know that there is only, you're only allowed allotment of certain amount of happy hour hours in Pennsylvania. I think it's like 14 hours per the week. And you can, hmm. you can kind of divvy it up at the time. You couldn't divvy it. It had to be no more than two hours every day. Well, we didn't know this. So, I mean, you know, we got a slap on the wrist. I mean, there's things like that, that, you know, Hey, why is nobody else doing this? Well, they're not doing it because it's illegal and you, and you can't do it. So why is that? Are they trying to like control? Like it's just a discount of liquor and that you have to, because happy hour, like they have, you're allowed to do like one special a day for a liquor license, but like for happy hour, you can kind of do whatever you want for two hours. And they just, they just want you to be careful, not overdo it. And, you know, offer all these amazing specials because people are just like, Hey, yeah, Mondays we'll do all day happy hour, you know? <laughs> so I think it's just a way of trying to control it, make sure you're not like giving giving the house away and people are going to consume too much, mm -hmm. I think is always usually the basis for that. <laughs> so, so when you took over for your dad, when he passed, was there like a big learning curve for you to take over or how, how ingrained in the business operation side of things were you at that, at that point? Um, I was, I was very ingrained. I mean, he kind of, so he opened up another, so we opened in 2002, December 30, 2002. And, you know, for a while, and then by, by 2006, 
I was pretty much like running the show and because he opened up another restaurant. So once that happened, um, he kind of took a, took a step back at appetites. And that's, that's kind of when I really, you know, really took over and did like, you know, everything with the money and just like all this, all the stuff that an, uh, that an owner would do scheduling. I mean, I did it all pretty much. So that's really when I took the leap. Um, it's funny though, because, you know, uh, I mean, me and my dad were very close, we had a good relationship, but it's not always easy working with, with for your father, whoever right. your boss is. And I remember thinking, man, I can't wait till he retires and he's off my back, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And then you walk in his shoes, you know, once he passed and go, okay, I like you, you, I, I wish he was there to, you know, to, to, to question things with me and go, how would you handle this? You know, and you value what, and what he put on the line so much more. Sometimes in hindsight, things are clearer and going, man, I, I, I can't believe i wanted to I, I wanted him to retire it's like i, I need him more than ever so you learn mm. you learn a lot about like hey until you walk in someone's shoes don't fully judge them don't until you mm. understand exactly the pressures and what they're going through make sure that you, you you at least think about that for sure do you ever think you would have started a business like a restaurant if you didn't have your dad's example uh that's a, also a great question um i will tell you that you know it's one thing to inherit a restaurant and i think that i have i've taken that uh um uh um um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for that opportunity. And I think I've nourished it. I think that, cause some people, you know, Oh, my dad and they take over and it's not that like, I think I've nourished it. I think that, but like to what it takes to, to start and put, like, you have to put a lot of times when you're starting a new business, you have to put your house on the line. You have to put a lot of things, you raise capital. You got to put, there's a lot, so much risk, you know, involved right. that, you know, I, I don't know if I, if I had the, uh, I don't know what the, the right with the gall to the, you know, the, the cojones to, to do what he did. And I, I, and, you know, I think about that a lot about what that took and what, how he believed in himself. And the one thing about him, he was very driven. And like I said, he wasn't great. He couldn't work for someone else. And he knew that about himself. And he was mm -hmm. incredibly, incredibly driven where I don't know if I had that drive where, you know, me again, having it and nourishing it is different than in creating it and putting all that on the line is, is, uh, so I don't, I don't know. I think the answer would be no. I don't think I could go, you know, from scratch and start now knowing what I know now, maybe, but not like 20 years ago. No. Right. Cause that's like one of the most, uh, the businesses with the most overhead, right. Is a restaurant. Huge overhead. A, yeah, I don't here. know compared to other businesses, but but huge overhead. I mean, and I know we're talking about, you know, to, to any new owners. I mean, that's what people come to me and say, like, what advice would you give someone if they wanted to open their restaurant? I would say the number one mistake that I find that new restaurants make is they're undercapitalized. They go, I need this to open a restaurant. And I say, whatever you think you need, you should at least double it. And like, well, why? And I'm like, well, there, it's just that so many restaurants, right, they, they can get open and they have so much debt that you know and then they're they're immediately saying I, okay and they even though they're busy and they might be making i don't want to say making money but they might be busy they might have a lot of people in there but they're just so far behind that they can never get out from underneath underneath themselves and that's mm -hmm. like that's what i'm saying so have enough capital where you include the first three months of payroll have enough capital that you can so like you can just breathe a little bit and get your get your feet on the ground and then start making money and, and being able to chip away it for sure do you remember what your dad's initial investment for appetites was that's, I think it was uh, around 1.2 million, I, I believe. I, I could be a little oh, wow. bit off it, but he probably needed more than that, you know? And, and that was so, in 2002. That was in 2002. And I think liquor so license at that time were still probably like a quarter of a million dollars. They're probably double that now, I think. But yeah, I mean, but again, I know that like, and I know that he had another, so he had Appetites Delight, like I said, and I know that he had a, sometimes a lot of restaurateurs will borrow from one to help pay and that it started to hurt, it could hurt your, your one that's doing really well to help you support the new 
one. And then when he opened up the one in, in 2006 that I said, the Big Easy, you know, the same kind of thing. All of a sudden we were doing well and we started, hey, I need a little bit of money from there. And like, mm -hmm. and that is a, it can be a, it can be a vicious cycle for sure. If you're not careful. That's and why capital Where did so he uh, source that money from? Was it just a uh, bank loan? No. So he um, he uh, had a partner that was like, um, you know, a very wealthy man that uh, that invested. I believed in, in what he was doing for sure. So, but, you know, the risk with that is that the interest rates are much higher when you, when you mm. go that route. And, you know, and rightfully so, he wanted his money every week and it created, it put a lot of pressure with the weekly, I would say nut, as we call it, you know, mm -hmm. that was, uh, it put a lot of pressure, you know, on the restaurant. So one of the, one of the key catalysts for me was I was able to finally, I don't know what year this was, but what I did was, um, I only had like about maybe three years left on that loan, but I, was able to get a bank to come in and pay him off, the investor, give me a much, much lower interest rate. And then also what I did was I increased my my loan again back to like five or six years. And what that did was it brought my weekly, what I owed way, way down. So what I need to do per week, all of a sudden, like instead of me having to do 40 or $50,000 a week, okay, I could do 35 and still pay all my bills and pay my people and pay myself. And, right. and the pressure was, I don't want to say it was off, but it really decreased. It was what, it was probably one of the reasons I'm, I'm flourishing the way that I am today, that, that bank loan, you know, mm -hmm. and it was nice okay. enough to have the bank like that believed in me. And, you know, cause I think I had some good credibility and I think it helped get the loan for sure. Yeah. That so. weekly payment that just chokes you every week. Uh, absolutely. Strips all the cash out. Is is that like a standard private capital deal, uh, or is that just? I, I can't speak. I, yeah, I think I think so. You know, because um, banks are very, you know, even more so. But banks with restaurants, they're very cautionary. I mean, it's you know, I think there's a lot of, like you said, a lot of them fail and stuff mm -hmm. like that. They're mm -hmm. very so. That's why if you can find private, that's why a lot of when new restaurants they try to find like those investors and people that you know will put their own money in because I think it's a lot easier to raise capital that way than go to a bank. To be honest with you. Mm -hmm. so. so do you have any like financial principles that you try to adhere to that have kept you alive while other restaurants are failing? Um, you know, I don't know if I have any specific principles, but the one thing is like when you are, one thing my dad instilled in me was that, um, and you'll, you'll hear that a lot. My, my dad's instilled a lot of things in me, but one thing was that even if you owe people money all over, you know, you, you know, you're a little behind or whatever, send them something. It, the worst thing you can do is ignore your, your debtors or, or, you know, or not let, don't send them anything. If they see money from you, even if it's not, even if it's a little bit, they will know that you're at least trying to get them. And, you know, that's one thing that I did. I mean, even some of the slower years or whatever, you know, you just, you just pay people a little bit here or there, you communicate with them and they're appreciative of it. And they're much more patient than if you, if they don't hear from you or they don't see any money from you, that's when you start to have real problems for sure. And then they come to collect or. Mm, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Hmm. Um, so I want to start diving into a little bit of the operational stuff that you oversee as the owner operator. Sure. What position title do you give yourself? Just owner? Um, I would say owner. I mean, I would say I, I kind of am the acting general manager, although I'm like now after 20 years, I'm starting to try to like take a step back a little bit where I don't have to be the over, like to be there. Mm -hmm. Like I want to be there, but I don't want to have to be there. That's like my big thing. Like I love what I do, but I would love to like, hey, on a Tuesday night, if it's slow at nine o'clock, I can leave. Or if I'm the manager on duty, I have to stay till close. And that's what I'm trying to, to build to build right now. But I mean, when I tell you though that for you know uh, for ten years, I mean, when I tell you we did scheduling, 
Um, you know, you do all the ordering. That's a food ordering, the beer ordering, the liquor ordering, um, you know, the paper products. Um, you know, scheduling is probably one of the hardest, I think, you know, just dealing with the people in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is uh, – I'm trying to think what else. I mean, there's so many hats. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, just like you're the plumber. Uh, you're – you know, you're – you do a little bit of everything. I mean, because mm-hmm. like you walk in and like, hey, the, the toilet's overflowing. I mean, there's just so many things that happen throughout the course of a day. The refrigerator's not working and knowing who to call and, and stuff like that. Those are the big the big things for sure. So, so what was the state of appetites when you officially took over? Was things pretty successful and booming or was uh, there? So? No. Uh, 2008 is when my dad passed. And I don't know if you remember, but like yeah. 2007 was an amazing time. Things were really, 2008 is when things came really, really crashing down. So Great recession. Uh, the great recession. I mean, it was, you know, I mean, people, and what's the first thing that people do? They go, okay, well, instead of going out to eat twice a week, I go out once a week. Or the people that was going out three go out two. And that's a huge thing. So you're Monday through Thursday, all of a sudden it's, you know, it was, it's, it can be scary, you know, and you have to say, okay, do I have to start cutting staff down? You have to like, you have to, one thing you have to learn is like, what can you control? You can't control your rent. You really can't control your electric. You can't control like your Comcast, but you can control like your food costs to a certain extent and you can really control your payroll. And that's like where you have to really watch and make sure that you're not overstaffing and bringing too many kitchen guys in, but it's a fine balance because if you don't give people enough hours, you know, they might leave and go somewhere else. And then you're like, okay, well now I'm shorthanded, which I mean, this mm-hmm. is the state that we're in now. That's, you have to be really careful because it's hard to find new people. So, so what were some of the steps you took as you took over the business going into 2008? What were, what did you decide to do to deal with that? Uh, you just, you learn what you can get away with as far as, um, um, I mean, you really watch every penny that you spend, like making sure that you're really watching your food inventory. Like you're not bringing an extra three cases of fries in. You have to really like, you have systems in place where you like, okay, hey, one week, this is what I had on hand. This is what I brought in. Okay, well, we still have three cases left. Okay, so next week, I'm only going to bring two cases in instead of five. You have to watch all that stuff is really making sure that you don't have, you don't have thousands of dollars sitting on your shelves that you're not, you could have brought in the following week. And that money then is in your bank account in your pockets that you can pay your staff and things like that. I mean, again, just really making sure that like, like, hey, we're slow. Hey, we have to learn how to run with no, like we used to have always have bussers on and servers, you know, and stuff like that. And like, okay, we actually went a period of time where we didn't have any bussers on, which was a huge learning curve for my staff because they're used to having people clean the tables. Then my servers had to start doing that, you know, and it was just a, like, it's it, it always an adjustment period where it's like, okay, hey, we're not used to this guys. And like, hey, who's going to clean the restaurant at the end of the night? And like, those are the things that you have to constantly just, you know, but when you have to save money and you're, the business is not there. That you, that's that, honestly, in some ways, it's the best thing that can, it's not the best thing. I don't want to go through it again, but you, as a businessman, it, you forced to learn so much because you have to learn, Hey, how do I run my business when I don't have the influx of, 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 uh, revenue that I'm used to. And that's when you start asking the right questions. Hey, is my electric bill, my savings, as much money Am I? you start asking every question you can ask about where can you, where can you save and things like that. But also you want to make sure that you're still advertising. You're putting money into the business to making sure that you're trying to get your name out there and that, that's that's also a tough balance as well sure so the food inventory management and staffing you say those are probably the biggest those, those are the things you have control over i mean my i wasn't calling my landlord and say hey can you lower my rent in half i mean that those yeah. are just not mm-hmm. options you know not not really even in covid that wasn't an option really so yep so you have to like try to control what you can control for sure so um, to move into staffing a little bit, what is your process for hiring and evaluating people you have hired, you are currently employing 
and making those kinds of decisions? Like, how do you view uh, that? So we really, because we're, we're a busy place and, you know, especially like the time of year when the patio is open, uh, we, so it's funny with hostesses, you know, I used to be very anti hiring anybody under 17 or 18 years old. Now I have like eight hostesses that are all 15 or 16 or, or 14, because that's just the nature of the way the industry either. There just aren't like once girls turn 18, they want to serve or they're just doing, they're driving, they're doing DoorDash or, or what have you. So you had, I had to change my outlook on that because that's the only way I was finding the only people I was finding were these teenage girls that wanted to host and things like that. But servers and stuff like that, I will only hire people that have at least a year or two experience because we're just too, and we're some restaurants will run with like a ton of servers. And, you know, I think that's a, a problem because, you know, servers want to make money. They want to, you know, if you only give them three or four table sections, cause you have eight or nine on, you know, I think that, you know, that turns people away. My servers have like huge sections. They'll have seven, eight, nine table sections sometimes, which means they can make a ton of money, but they better be able to handle it. So I can't hire somebody that's never served before and just say, Hey, here you go. Work on the patio tonight. And it just would not go well. So, mm-hmm. and then bar that's the thing like even even that you have you just have to have experience because again some places would have three or four bartenders on who just handle you know we only run with two even on our busiest nights and they have to be good so you know we go through like a you know we make sure that we i have my bartenders actually interview the bartenders and ask them the questions about how to make drinks and all that stuff just to make sure that we're not because a lot of people will just say oh i went to bartending school and i bartended for and then they, they go back behind and be like you know what is what's a uh, gray goose you know and you're like wait what i thought you said you bartended before so yeah what, what about kitchen staff uh, kitchen staff, I, it's, um, I usually will have my kitchen manager. Um, they seem to have a good uh, rapport, like when, whenever somebody wants to. And that's the thing. I've had a lot of my same kitchen guys for a long, long time. I try to take really good care of them. I think that's one of the issues that restaurants are having right now. The reason they're closing is not because they don't have front of the house staff. It's because they're having trouble with their back of the house. So I make sure I really take good care of those guys. And they usually will say, hey, listen, we need we need another cook. And my kitchen manager will go out and they either know somebody or a friend of a friend. It's a lot of word of mouth. I think that we have a pretty good reputation. I think I pay pretty well. And I think that, you know, that's that's helped me find find new people for sure. So So do you view your staff as, um, well, I guess for the kitchen staff, do you view them as somebody who you want to keep on for long term, even if their wages go up as opposed to- Absolutely. That's a big thing. I think that a lot of, um, like, like in 2000, I think it was, you know, 2020, you know, night, whatever, when, when things were started, like, you know, I just gave them all raises, you know, once we got out, kind of out of like where it was takeout only, you know, and I could afford to do it because the cost of, okay, yeah, I don't want to pay this guy. I don't want to give him a $2 raise. Right. But the cost of finding someone new, who's going to be as reliable, who's going to be as skilled, who does, who doesn't know the menu, the cost of that is way more than just giving the guy who's been with me and loyal to me an extra $2 an hour. That's, that's my philosophy, you know? Mm -hmm. so yeah we're also fans of loyalty over the cheap turnover style of absolutely employment yep yeah because it's not only like the skills that they have but it's like learning your process for your specific organizations the menu just having 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 those guys that have been dealing you know who know the menu who are just like on a friday night when you're you got a hundred tickets hanging or what i mean that's invaluable you know absolutely i mean Mm -hmm. yep so um, to change directions a little bit, you guys are obviously known for having really good food. Like, mm-hmm. There's so many restaurants that have a really good looking menu, but it's very hard to find one that everything's actually good, which I definitely say you guys really have top to bottom a great menu. I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. Um, so with coming from your dad managing to you, did you guys change the, 
menu or even the cocktail program at all? Absolutely. Big time. I mean, when we, you know, when we first opened, I mean, our menu, I mean, our menu is expanded and that's, that's one of those things. It's like, Hey, how do you stay? Like I have cheesesteaks and our Italian hoagies, the same Italian hoagie we had at Appetites of Light and our Rubens the same, but Hey, I have plant-based options. I have gluten-free options. I have, um, you know, we, uh, have firecracker shrimp tacos, which is a favorite. I mean, these are all things that we never, we didn't have until maybe five, 10 years ago that, you know, again, if you're not evolving in that way, you're not adding things to your menu and trying things. I think that, you know, it just gets stagnant and you have to constantly, especially with the dietary stuff, the plant-based stuff. I mean, that stuff is, is huge. I think it's just moving in a direction where it's just going to be coming more and more. For sure. And what is your theory on when to update the menu or change, take something in, bring something uh, in? Good question. So we have our standard menu and it's pretty much, it's been the same for a long time. We're not great about, I mean, we always add little, so what we do is we have a special menu. Like we'll, we'll have, like I'll do like a flatbread special and a burger special, but like we'll do a taco special. We'll just, we'll try things. I go to food shows and see different ideas and we try them. And if they're successful and the kitchen can pull them off the way that I want them to pull it off, but also the customers seem to be, like, because I can look at, I have like a sales report and I say, oh my God, wow, we just sold this much of the special people seem to really like it i'll throw it on my permanent menu and that's kind of how i've i've done that over the years for sure and those additions is it something you'll come up with like oh i want to do a firecracker shrimp taco or something do you go to your kitchen manor and kind of develop the recipe or how does that work a lot of times i do um you know i'll go hey i went to i saw a food show or i watched tv or i went to another restaurant i go hey can we try this 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 was amazing you know mm -hmm. um a lot of times i'll let my serve i'll let my whole staff get involved that's what's great about being individually on we don't have to go through red tape like if somebody goes hey i went to a restaurant and i saw this i think you should throw that on there that's the one thing i love about the special menu there's no risk the only thing i try to do is i try to incorporate ingredients that i'm already carrying because you don't want to bring in one extra item just for one item that may not sell unless it's not perishable then that's fine you know so but we try to incorporate things that like hey we're already kind of using but maybe we're going to do it in a different way and that's a big thing for me because it's just because that's what's smart about our menu my menu's big you know but like i always use turkey example we have turkey rubens we have turkey hoagies we have turkey clubs we have hot turkey sandwiches we have a turkey platter so yeah it's a different my menu looks huge but i have one item that i use like in seven different ways and i can say mm -hmm. that about a lot of different items that, that we use as well yeah. what is your process for managing all that inventory do you have like just a big sheet that you kind of like what's your uh, system yeah so we have order sheets and, and things like that and then we do inventory once a month um you know some some restaurants do it once a week we do it once a month and like you know we just that way we can know what we're spending and like what we what we have on hand and things like that but yeah we have an order sheet that like we have different purveyors and you just you constantly have to update them though because hey we're out of this product and we added this one or you know we, when we add new items we have to make sure they get on the order sheets and then and then what you do is you do a par like you just say okay hey this is we have 10 cases of, of fries and I'm going to order six. And then if you run out, well, next week, if I have 10 cases of fries, I'm going to order nine and then you just keep, you just keep tabs and like, you just go through the menu and just make sure. And that's the thing. Sometimes things get forgotten and you go, Oh, we never added it to the order guide. And then you learn the hard way because you run out of the item for two days and I get upset and I'm like, we got to add this, this item. Cause I, I hate being out of stuff. I mean, it, in the last year or two, you have to be much more tolerant because you never know what you're getting and what you're not getting. But overall though, you know, it comes down to management and making sure that you're, you're, you're managing those, the, the order sheets properly for mm -hmm. sure. Do you ever let the kitchen guys experiment and try coming up with something on their own back there? All the there? time. They do it all the time. That, that's uh, the firecracker tacos was one of my one of my kitchen managers came to me and was like, "Hey, I think we should try this." And I mean, we all tried and we're like, "These are amazing," mm -hmm. you know, and you guys have said it. And then, you know, all of a sudden when you start to see things that are new move up to the top because like you're going to sell your cheesesteaks, your wings, your rubens, you know, those are when you start to see new things start to creep up in like your top 10 of what you're selling, then you know you have a winner and it's a no-brainer to add it to the menu. So you guys keep 
keep track of the highest performing items. Absolutely. Just... I look, especially when we do a new special menu, I, I look pretty much, I have an app on my phone that I can look every night and go, oh, how many of these chicken sandwiches we sell tonight and this and that. And like, and the thing is like, it takes a little while for it to catch on because people, one thing about you, we able to see a lot of the same faces and people come in, they kind of already know what they want. So to get them to go off of what they know is good and order something new is sometimes a tricky thing. And that's where a new customer, that's why on the weekends we tend to sell more of the specials because you get a lot of people maybe trying for the first time. A lot of times your Monday through Thursday are your core people that are you know are like hey you know that's like your your supporters Regular. that usually know like hey i come here and i get the same thing every as, as big as our mm-hmm. menu is yeah. there's people that go i've never not ordered this before mm-hmm. you know so you have to take that with a grain of salt too is the, the cocktail program similar in the management or um no we have i mean so i have a i have a, a bartender manager jennifer she's been with me a long time she's taken over the cocktail program i mean we've we've went you know we've added specialty martinis fish bowls um you know we we try new things all the time and we try to do at least uh i'd say three menu changes where we do like a summer drink menu like a fall or winter and then like a spring one as well so we're mm-hmm. constantly same same kind of concept just trying to bring in new things and obviously flavors change like in the winter you know you want to bring more stouts in and you want to bring maybe like you know a chocolate martini where in the summer you want things lighter you know we'll do like a salad on the special menu just you have to try to be seasonal because i think people respond to that as well for sure mm-hmm. hmm. let's see um so we talked a little bit about marketing what what was your dad's style of marketing compared to how you were doing things like once you took over? Um, so my, well, the one thing my dad did that it's still people still to this day, I mean, mention is that we, uh, we advertised on uh, WIP sports radio. We actually brought out like the, like they, they actually did the program from our place. One, we did it for one season. We just happened to catch when the Eagles went to the Super Bowl in 2004. So, I mean, I think maybe listenership was up, but I still get people to this day be like, hey, you're that place that was on WIP. Like, I mean, this still was we're talking that. like 18 years ago. Really? So I think it was an, it was a great way to get the name out there. I don't know if it was the smartest way to spend the money because you, the one thing about like radio, in my opinion, is that um, you have people like on WIP that live in South Jersey that live, I don't care how good my fit, you're not driving an hour and a half just to come now. If you happen to be in the Exton area, okay, maybe that's where a benefit, but what is that? Once a year that that, that happens. Mm-hmm. You know, so I try to really just focus on local. My thing is like, I'll do like I do the television commercial. And the reason I love Comcast is because it's only Chester County. You know, it's not going to people that are never going to come. The idea is to try to get people to see that are actually going to walk through my front door or pick up the phone and be able to order food or delivery for sure. So that's mm-hmm. my big, my big thing. And I'm always a big fan when you're doing commercials on TV of like the commercial we did for him. It's all about the food and showing how appetizing it is, just really engaging with that sense of hunger. Um, do you th- have you tried any different forms like and seen different success with different types of advertising? I just started. So I, I finally got smart enough and had you guys shoot enough footage that I could do three different commercials because I realized I was I, I only had a sports commercial and I realized I was shooting myself in the foot because I was like, hey, except for football season, which is when I was mainly advertising in March Madness, I was like, you know what? I would love to run and not to mention when you run later at night and things like that, it's much, much cheaper than doing Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nice. but I don't, a sports commercial, but if I do it on different channels like Bravo or TNT, it doesn't necessarily, I might not be hitting the right clientele. So it's like, Hey, maybe I should do like a late night food commercial because there's people that watch TV at the 10 o'clock and go, Hey, I would love to order some food right now. And then I thought about like, Hey, I want to really focus on the patio. And I was like, so that's why we did enough footage. And I learned like, Hey, I'm going to run some different spots and change the look and feel. So maybe I'm going to appeal to women on this one. I'm going to appeal to just hungry people in this one. I'm going to appeal to sports fan in another one. I think that so far, I don't know yet because this is the first year that I'm doing that, but I can tell you cost wise and just the, the difference is real. I think it's going to help me a lot because it's a different audience that I'm reaching for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. So outside of the commercial stuff, what other 
kinds of marketing programs have you put into the business to help grow? Um, just, I mean, definitely like, you know, internet advertising, social media, you know, we, we pay, we pay like a service that like, you know, will do ads for us and just, you know, constantly, you know, boost them for us and things like that. Uh, there's people that are like within, if they're in within like five miles, they can get an ad on their, like on the, again, on social media is really big right now. The internet, we do email marketing. Uh, we do a little bit of print advertising, a couple, couple magazines, you know, just, you know, quarter page ads and things like that. But I'm not such a believer in that, but I, but I, I'm at the point where being around 20 years, I don't necessarily, I don't want to say I don't, you always want to bring new people in, but it's a branding thing. Like the commercial, that's what's tough about a TV commercial is that you don't go, I mean, some people go, oh, I saw your commercial last night. I came in here. That That's happened to me, but that's rare that you hear that. It's like, you just have to hope that like you, people hear the name and it's just a, a way to keep your name in front of, oh, I saw you in this ad here. I see you on TV. I see. And it's just a way to kind of keep your brand out there. That's kind mm -hmm. of how I look Yeah. At brand it. recognition is what exactly. we like to call it. Yep. Which is, mm -hmm. yep. Keep it in their in their brain at all times. Which, if I was a new restaurant, I don't know if that's the best way because, like, but now that I've been around for so long and people know, it's a way to. It's kind of just refreshing it. Where if I'm new, I just I, I we were doing coupons, we were mailing out stuff to get people. Hey, come see who we're what we're about. Come try us. We'll take a little bit of a hit financially, but hey, we we believe that we can get you in the front door once and you try our Reuben that you're going right. to come back again and again. I mean, that's our philosophy. I mean, that was and that's what we did. You know, you have to take a little bit of a, a hit on the chin as far as like the the cost because you hey buy one get one free or whatever but whatever when you're new get people come try you just get them in your door and then that's on you then to create a customer out of that for sure have you gone have you guys gone to like food festivals or competitions um, for burgers or stuff like that um no nothing like that i'm not big on like you know uh but i mean i for me i, I loved going out to eat everything is research no matter where i go what i do it's hey is like hey i love like like for example our we only used the same italian roll for the longest time um you know and it was non-seated you know but why we go when primos was becoming a thing you know i would go with their hoagies i'm like that th these hoagies are amazing the bread the seed is like if you really believe that he's like go he's like go find one and bring one in and that's what we did and we changed our hoagie roll after all those years and that's like, that's one example of something we changed just because like of my the flavor profile you know and like mm -hmm. and i think it's been it was a huge success for us and that's a, it you again you can't be afraid to change and try things and then we still have the italian roll so anybody old school goes hey i liked your hoagie before hey just had requested on that roll you can you can get it so it was there's really no no real risk for that for sure yeah anyone who says like there's no difference between a primo and a wawa hokies mm -hmm. out of their mind i, I, would, <laughs> I would agree i mean wawa is great for what it is as convenience late at night you're in a rush you know mm -hmm. but, but but if someone's like going to the game like i stopped at wawa i'm like primos is down the street i go i yeah. think you're crazy that's just that's <laughs> one man's opinion but it, it's always research and we um before covid there was food shows all the time where like your purveyors will like hold these things you know these huge and i would always go there and go hey i'm not looking to revamp my menu i'm going to find one or two ideas that i never knew existed or i didn't know about or whatever and again you bring them back and you create a dish off of it and you see what's successful for sure mm -hmm. so you can write that off as a business expense then Re uh, research uh, absolutely a lot of times they're local they're like one day things but sometimes they're they can be like in Atlantic. yeah but uh, you can write off anything like that's that that's cool yeah, for sure for sure that's nice <laughs> <clears throat> so do you guys do trivia nights or i know you have a lot of sports games and stuff there what kind of like packages uh, have you used and so has it been effective i would say that's the been the biggest change for us before covid before and after i mean before covid when i tell you we had bands two or three days a week we had karaoke we had djs we had um we were doing bingo um 
we have complete we have nothing right now and everybody the only thing people really really uh care about is karaoke for us we mm-hmm. it's funny right in 2019 it might even be in 2020 we won best of mainline best karaoke and then literally the world shut down it was like <laughs> and what was the worst thing you could possibly do is probably karaoke just because a shared microphone and all, mm-hmm. and all and i know there's like there's solutions for that now but like it, it's kind of funny so that is probably something i will bring back i'm going to do it in a much less um capacity like I, I i might do live music once once a month and if you ask me why it's just like are we're busier than, than we were with 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 music like we have busier fridays and saturday nights with no entertainment so figure that one out i don't know it's just because there's so many homes in our area and all that and just it's just funneling us or maybe people didn't love the bands because it was loud in there maybe it's keeping some people away you know i think that maybe sometimes less is more where hey if i bring a band in once a month instead of three times a week and when we have a band the people that want live music will will flock there that night you mm-hmm. know we do have a loyal karaoke fan base i just want to feel a little bit better about where what direction we're going with COVID. i'm not that i'm afraid of it or, or anything like that but i just want to make sure that like we're kind of i don't want to start something and then i have to stop it again that's kind of where i'm at when i started again i wanted to let i want it to be like hey we have moved past this and we are moving forward and that's why i haven't brought it back yet oh yeah i just while we're talking about covid mm-hmm. i know we had a few conversations earlier about um kind of like what that was like for you as a business owner because mm-hmm. like we have friends on all sides of the aisles and stuff with all the mask mandates and stuff but mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about what that was like for you as the restaurant owner trying to enforce these mandates and and how that impacted your business uh it was okay well those are two questions there so i'll say how was it as the owner and you know it was terrible it was really like i love what i do i feel blessed that i have a restaurant and whatever those two years especially 2020 was probably like i lost so much of my staff that had been with me for so long because they we all it was like you it was almost like you had five years in one year just like you everyone got so burnt out it was so i'll give you an example so when somebody would come in right this is when so in pennsylvania you had to order to order alcohol you had to order food okay well somebody comes in right and places a hundred dollar takeout order right and they go well can i sit at your bar and just have a drink while i wait for my food well there, you can't sit at the bar sir because the bar is closed okay can i sit at a table yeah you can but you have to order food if you order a drink well i just ordered food well no you have to order food that you have to consume here mm. and like something that is so easy that normally it's just like yes have a seat at the bar have a beer i'll bring your food to you came into like like a three minute conversation but imagine having that 12 times a day and that's yeah. just one conversation in between that you're telling someone to put their forgot to put their mask on and like you became it became politicized and we became we were on the front lines of that and it was just it was so stressful and so and then not to mention on top of that the rules would change pretty often without much notice and you know it was trying to keep the customers informed keeping my staff informed and then you have your regular customers who we love to death you know who you know would maybe say well can we get a little slide on this or do we have to order food and it was like you know and some people we would do it for and some people we wouldn't and then it caused confusion it's like Mm. we had to make these rules and then they would get pissed at us it was just (laughs) it was it was really but the, the mask mandate thing was just because customers really wanted to confront you and be combative and it was just exhausting is is my is my number one word exhausting now as far as how like march of 20 to june of 20 was probably one of the scariest times i've had a business owner i mean we were takeout only we did not let a person inside the restaurant you know my staff was scared i probably was a little bit scared you just didn't know what was what you know you need to remember we didn't really know all about covid and what you know the and and all the stuff so there's a lot of uh, of that but I will tell you, though, that ironically, which is it's hard to believe that that June, July and August at that time were the best three months I've ever had. 
as a business owner. Now explain that. In terms of sales? In terms of sales. And you're like, well, how, like, wow. how, right. It doesn't, because 20 was, I mean, excuse my French, but it was a shit show. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so how, yeah. and because like, so restaurants like outdoor dining became the thing well what were we known for in chester county oh so you're positioned it, it, we to, were just we were up. we were blessed i mean and the other thing a couple things with that were that not only were we the outdoor dining okay we were one of the few places that did not cut their now i don't want to say we didn't cut our hours we used to be open till two every night but we were open at the first when we first opened i think we were open to like one or 130 as late as we were allowed to serve food um, you know, with, with, cause you had to serve when you serve food, you had alcohol, you had to serve food. So we served, I think we cut the kitchen off at one thirty. Then, and not to mention, we also were one of the few places that did not cut our menu down at all. Because again, I had some good stuff that like I used, my menu was big, but like I had a lot of stuff I used across my menu that I just, I did. Mm -hmm. Now there were certain things we couldn't yeah. get, like we couldn't get potato skins. We couldn't get like crab cakes. Like there was, a, so there was like a handful of things that we pretzel rolls that we, and people were like freaking out, but like, you know, or whatever, but like, and so we were, so the, combined that we were the only place like we had a natural patty that we were known for. We were we were open late and and we were um we had a full menu and not to mention remember people weren't really working. Everyone was getting the unemployment. People had money in their pocket and people wanted to get the hell out of their house. <laughs> so you combine those things. I'm not kidding. I'll never forget that the first, I think we opened on June 5th. It was a Friday, right? And that weekend was insane. And I was like, okay, Monday, I lightly staffed. It's like Monday, we're gonna have a chance to regroup. Monday was busier than any day on the weekend. At three o'clock in the afternoon on a random Monday in June, our patio, I say three o'clock, it's three o'clock on a Monday. You come to my restaurant now, it's not very busy, okay? But on June 8th or whatever it was, you would have thought there was a party going on. It was like completely wow. packed, people boozing, people eating, people, and we were understand. I mean, it was like, so I don't know what's going on. It was the middle <laughs> of the day. And I just always, uh, that stands out to me because I was like, what is going on? You know, I mean, by and that's when you had to sit down and go, hey, how do we go? Okay, hey, I need three servers. I need, we're not, we used to cut servers down. You know, when you get after two o'clock, you, you go down to one server. Well, we kept three servers on till four o'clock till the night crew got there. I mean, these are all things that we had to to adjust and and the, and the hot back just on COVID, you know, even though we've been in business for a long time, we became curbside only for, you know, for three months. And every day we would go, how do we make this better? How do like, there's literally cars lined up, you know, on Friday night, you know, and it's raining outside mm -hmm. and you're like, you know, how do you find, and like, you know, listen, we, we, we were not good at it at first. I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, you know, whose car is what? Someone would call up and go, yeah, I'm here for an order for Bob. Well, 20 minutes later, we don't have an order for Bob because Bob's wife called under Carol and Carol's order has been there for 20 minutes. We could have brought it out to Bob. So like, how do we handle, like, there's so many things that we, and listen, I will tell you by the end of it, it made my takeout business. Like we got really, really Really good at it. I was literally sitting there on my laptop because we have online ordering in real time. When people would comment and go, "Hey, how do I add this?" I would add the topping in there and refresh and like constantly in real time as orders were coming and going. Oh, that person commented that they or they would type in, "I need this sauce" or whatever. Go, oh, I don't have that as an option. I would constantly and I, I will tell you that it improved our our takeout. So you took advantage of the opportunity to innovate that's and all, improve your business absolutely. again. That's all you could do. I mean, that's all you had. So you had to get really good at it. And and like at that time, it felt like if you if someone was missing an item in their to-go order, it felt like devastating because that was your only source of income. Right. And if someone gets home and their order is messed up, you just felt so it, like you felt so bad for them. And because like, this is like maybe their night out, you know, to you know take you know take the kids and like even just get out of the house and go pick up food and was they were supporting you in this horrible time and like you don't want to mess up their orders. Yeah. I mean, you don't ever want to mess up any, but in that time it was like magnified like a hundred percent. Yeah. For sure. And I remember how nice it was that the restaurants were, were pivoting like that. I mean, like me and my wife had our anniversary as a takeout, mm -hmm. you know, like we went to a, a restaurant just, 
yeah. got takeout. Everything was takeout anywhere, yeah. but that was the only way that you could experience you the could. restaurants yeah. there for a while. I mean, I want to say this. I mean, just to give credit to, I mean, we were blessed that we had this natural patio. It was such a part of who we were already. I didn't have to figure anything out. The only thing I did was I just added more tables and expand. I created the six feet. So we, our, my patio went like this and I just stretched it a little bit. But these restaurants that created what they created, you know, on sidewalks and I tremendous yeah. respect and tremendous, like, you know, as much as we want to complain about the way you know, things were handled, you know, they did kind of bend a lot of rules or break a lot. Just say restaurants do what you need to do. Like in Westchester, it took them alive. forever to be able to close the streets. But once they did, that was amazing for those restaurants. They should have done that way earlier than they, than they did. I mean, that's yeah. I was like a big person because I, I was just lucky because I had, that was my concept already. I had the patio. Like yeah. I shouldn't have an advantage just because if you weren't allowed to be inside, like whatever restaurants needed, they should have just, they should have done for them you know for sure mm -hmm. yeah. yeah phoenixville did a great job of that too letting they all did. the restaurants Absolutely. out on the street and it's amazing hopefully some of it lasts you yeah, know even though fun. you know it makes what i have a, a little bit like you know I, you know i think i have an advantage or whatever i hope they should they should let because it just it, people love it you know and yeah. so absolutely yeah so you guys were adapting through covid just doing what it sounds like you've been doing it's just always assessing how can we do this better how can absolutely. we do this better and even through the challenges which is awesome we saw so many good restaurants, especially independent ones, just close through COVID. Like, Absolutely. What do you think the cause was for their closure? Um, just... It was this combination of burning, uh, burning out of just like it was just not fun. Like restaurants, when you walk into a restaurant, it's you know it's like it's a happy you know relaxing, and it just it just wasn't for the staff or I think the customer. You know, it's like what am I allowed to do? Am I allowed to sit at the bar? Am I not? And it just I think it just it just like I said, it just it was like you multiple. So anybody who was close to being towards the end or maybe retiring soon. I think it sped that up significantly. It was like, you know mm -hmm. what? I really don't want to do this anymore. I think that was a part of it. I think the staffing was, was a huge part. They couldn't find, they couldn't get staff back. I think was a big part of it. And then you throw in the supply chain issues of just not being able to get the quality of product that maybe you were used to. I think those are all huge factors for sure. Yeah, we saw a lot of businesses where like that was like the perfect scapegoat to be like, oh, we closed because of COVID, but really it was just they need to get out of that Absolutely. bad business. They Listen, are I, so I love what I did. If you, if after 2020 and you were in the restaurant industry, you were not questioning what you wanted to do. Like if you wanted to, like, uh, I would say you're not, I would say you're not human. Like when my staff, some of my staff who had been, been, been with me for 10, 15 years came to me and go, I can't, I was like, I looked at them in the eye and go, I can't blame you. I, I can't. I understand. I'm sorry to see you go. I don't want you to go, but I completely understand why you can't do. Like, I, you just you felt because like part of me. I'm not. I'm gonna be honest. Was like I don't know. I would say I don't know. Envious or jealous because like this was. I, I there was no walking away from me. This was my my life, and I was like, you know what? If I could get out, I probably would too. Right now, like that's that's how you felt. Now I don't feel that way anymore, but that's definitely how we a lot of us felt in that time because it was so hard. That I mean, mm -hmm. was, like yeah. I said, it was exhausting. It really was. Yeah, we're still kind of with the supply chain stuff we're still dealing with that how how's that impacting you now with your inventory and stuff um it's just like you know it's funny like what you've become accepted you know if like my, my deliveries came in i was missing three items i you know three years ago i'd be like this is unacceptable now you're just like okay guys we're just gonna be out of this item for a week like people will understand like that's like COVID has changed a lot some of it in some ways for the better because you just you just you just it's a roller coaster ride and you just gotta roll you just have to roll with it it's just it's just what you accept absolutely have, have you had to adjust the menu at all or are you just Tell um, people if you're out of something. No, you just tell people, hey, like we don't, we just don't, we don't have it today. We can't get it. Like potato skins are not a thing right now, unless you unless you make them yourselves. Like you just can't. They just do not exist anywhere. So you, we just we just took them off the menu for now. You know, like just 
that's just what it is. There's not, you can't, I try not to stress about the things that I can't control. You know, that's it. And that's one of my big philosophies I tell my son. I and mean, I've learned, like, I used to get so stressed out because our patio about the weather. I mean, how do you freak out about the weather? You know, so I've just <laughs> learned over the years. I'm like, okay, like, I don't even check that much anymore. Like, if it rains, it rains. And then people will sit inside or, or won't be as busy. And that's okay. Because I have zero control over it. Mm -hmm. So there's just no right. point in, 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 in getting stressed out about it, for sure. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So did you guys have to... Um, through COVID, was there any stuff with like the PPP or any of those people? Did you guys take advantage of any of those programs? Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, I will say like, again, you know, about people want to complain about, you know, shut down. I mean, from my, from my perspective, you know, it took a while and it was scary because you had to pay rent when you had, you were takeout only and you're like, I have to, you know, why, why do I have to pay rent if I'm being forced to shut down? And like, it's not my landlord's fault that I was shut down. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of that. So yes, but the PPP came through twice. And then there was also the, the employee retention tax credits, which also helps subsidize if you didn't get the PPP or in between you getting the PPP. And it really, I mean, it's, I was able to pay all my, so that's how I, I think that I was one of the few places that kept all my staff because I don't want to make any, you know, I don't know what people did. I know that I used the PPP properly. I paid, like what I did was I calculated my kitchen staff. I said, Hey, this is what you were making. My servers, I would say, Hey, this is what you're making plus tips. Cause you have all that reporting and go, and I would give them something close to that. And then, so when that's why when we opened in June 5th and we were busy, I, I, I had a hundred percent of my staff come back. Hmm. So you didn't lose any staff through that whole... I didn't, except for um, uh, one girl who just had a baby who was like, you know what, I just don't feel... I mean, anybody who didn't feel comfortable, I didn't force anybody, but anybody that wanted to work and and that's when, yeah, that's what we did. We put messages out and say, hey guys, June, they're going to open, we're going to yellow, if you remember that, you know? And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, right? And I know it's funny, to, it's funny some of the things I, I try not to think about some of that <laughs> yeah, stuff, but like, hey, they brought the out. staff in and it was like a big deal, just getting people to walk. There's a lot of mental hurdles with COVID, right? So like just getting people like I had a meeting a week before just to get people to have to get off their couch or out of their house and actually come into the restaurant, I think was a huge mental hurdle for a lot. And there was a lot of people that were scared. We, we all were, you know, and that's why mm -hmm. it was outside only. And like, we were very cautious for sure. So we yeah, took I, it very seriously. I remember coming in, I think you were, you were the first restaurant I went to and whatever, how many months it was. And it was like, it was shocking just going on the patio with a mask on, which, mm -hmm. you know, unless you're actively eating, you had to have it on. Right. Sure. Sure. I was taking selfies on Facebook. Everyone was like, oh, you lucky mother. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. just because I was out and yeah. everyone had yeah. been cooped up for so long. Yep. Yep. That patio you guys had had since the beginning was like yeah. it was, saving it was grace a time and time again. It really again. was. It, it really, I mean, we were just, we were blessed. I mean, it really, my business model at that time, I mean, they were just like, if you're going to go out to eat, eat outside. It was like, I mean, that's when people, I mean, people have been telling me for years, when I think, when it gets nice out, I just think of appetites. I mean, that's besides COVID. I mean, that was just a thing, you know, just, just normally. So now you, that is just was magnified exponentially you know for mm -hmm. sure so and i kind of knew it i kind of was like you know what we are going to be the place that has to kind of set the bar that's why we were one we did the qr codes right away we did all the touchless stuff like we i really prepared for for that as much as i could for sure and i think it's cool too um you guys having the whole doggy menu and everything inviting the pets to come along and Absolutely. enjoy that outdoor dining experience too i think yeah. that's really innovative too yeah. i know a lot of friends who have dogs in the area they just think of your restaurant specifically because it has that. That's awesome. I mean, that's a big, so talk about things that is like, so for years, people, we would always like, we, we're pet friendly, but people would always call and go, are you sure it's okay? Are we allowed to bring a dog? So I was like, what can I do to let people know? Like it screams, 
bring your dog. Like you don't have to. And I was like a doggy menu. And I started doing some research and that's where, that's where yeah. the, it was like a little gimmicky, which I don't love, but as far as just like, just, but it screamed to people, Hey, they have a doggy menu. You're telling us we want you to bring your dogs. And that's exactly what it says. And people, you know, I get much less calls about that. Now people kind of just, they know, and they love it, you know, yeah. and they, and their dogs, listen, I have two dogs. I mean, it's just, they're a part of your family and that's, it's, it's a big thing. We actually just added a, uh, a doggy, like I've been looking for years for a doggy dessert. And I found this company out in uh, Pennsylvania that makes these like, like all natural treats and stuff like that just another little thing to to add to add to the experience yeah, that's sure. cool it was yeah. like a genius subliminal message mm. like mm. a doggy menu obviously your dog's welcome here you know? exactly yeah. exactly that's what it did it just it just like opened the door for that you don't have to question it because you just say oh yeah we have a doggy menu well we don't have a we we, we want to do that if we don't want you to bring your dog you know what i right. mean mm -hmm. so exactly absolutely that's fine that's really good. Um, one last thing I wanted to touch on with staff is how many people do you have on right now total? That's a good question. I think it's um, because like we just hired a bunch of people, like a lot of hostesses and things like that. Mm -hmm. I think I'm probably pushing around 50 employees. 50. Okay. Well, around. That's a lot probably a little bit less, but, but around there. So for the actual culture of Appetites, do you guys have like big full staff meetings or retreats or anything you do to kind of... Keep everybody in line and um, so that's a that's team a team building. Yes, so um, we we I, I don't I'm not a big believer in staff meetings, although they're they're necessary once in a while. I think if you overdo it, it becomes mundane or or whatever. Um, I try to like have ways for my staff to vent, you know, if they need to. Um, but the big thing that I did was so we we usually have a holiday party in January February. Um, uh, you know, every year, you know, it's like a celebration, it's like a thank you or what have you. Well, we couldn't do it in COVID. So we get to, I believe it was, yeah, it was last year and I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, we didn't do a holiday party and I'm looking at this, the July and July, and we usually do it on a Sunday night. Right. And it just happens to be that July 25th was on a Sunday in 2021. I was like Christmas in July. And I, and I like messaged my staff. I was like, guys, we're going to pick out something and we're going to like, we're going to close, which I've never done. Usually my holiday parties were like, you know, 10 o'clock at night till two o'clock in the morning. We would very minimally be, be closed. I was like, we're going to close early. We're going to close at like four o'clock. We're going to all go out to dinner somewhere really nice. Like my treat, open bar. We'll go out to Westchester afterwards. Mm. And, um, and we had a lot of new people at the time. And part of it was that like, Again, people were stressed out by COVID. There's a, it was just like we needed something to kind of like get people and bridge them together and feel good about them. the morale. It was a big morale booster for me, for my staff, and, and we did it. And, you know, I'm probably going to do it again. And then we had another holiday party um, in our normal time, you know, in, uh, 2000, in the beginning of 2022 that we do. And I think it's, you know, more so now just like I think that stuff's even more important just because after what we all went through, if you don't show appreciation for your staff and show and, and also just get out of the work environment and be able to see that let them see you as a human being and and not just their boss and and vice versa i think it's just it's so healthy when you come to work that week it's like hey i laughed with that guy last week it just makes mm -hmm. things a little bit lighter and i think it's really 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 important for sure do you notice like a boost in morale like after events like that take place absolutely i mean i, I will say this like this past year so we hired a bunch of new people in 2021 this was the first patio season that I did not have to hire one new server. They all stayed. They all, hmm. and that, and not to mention, that's invaluable for a couple of reasons. The same thing as the kitchen is that they know what to expect. They know the menu nuances. They know how busy it can be. They, they, they can get through. Like it's just like that whole year. It just made them better and server at Appetites on Main, which makes our service better, which makes the whole experience better. And that's just that's incredible for sure. And I think I'd like to think that, you know, having these parties and and doing things that show appreciation for them. And we, sometimes we bring food in, you know, and like I gave my kitchen guy. 
guys all a week off paid vacation like for the first time you know just you start thinking about after covid it made even me as a business owner go hey what can i do to show my staff that i appreciate them more because employee retention is more important now than ever because it's not right. like it used to be where if someone quits yeah i'm probably gonna go find someone as good or close to that and I'll, I'll build them like you know for a while there's like if someone quit it was like it might be months before I find someone to replace them. Right. And like, I don't feel that way today as much, but again, I, I, I rather, like I said, loyalty, I rather not go through that. I rather reward and, and make them all feel. And the, the big, one of the biggest changes that, that we've made, I mean, back in the day, you know, we would have servers that we would hire and give them five or six, they would want to be on five or six days. And it was like, if you didn't, like, I'll go get another job. I need more shifts. Now, like the new, and nothing wrong with it, they go, I want three, maybe four shifts with a chance to pick up more if I want, or a chance to work a little bit. So, so like I have evolved to that. Now I have so many more staff members on who want to work three or four days, which has really helped the morale too, because now nobody's overworked. And now they can pick up shifts when they need to. But when people need off or take vacations, there's more people to work. And hmm. that's been a big, a big change as well. But it's, it's, it's like something I've been really conscious of is like the work-life balance for my managers, for my kitchen staff. Like it's really, I, I think for me, because after COVID, like it's just, it's just something like some, lots of things have changed. I think that's one of the biggest, like the work-life balance is like if you're overworking people, they're, they're not going to stay. That's mm -hmm. my opinion. Yeah. And that's kind of like a shift in the culture too, like how Big much time. people think is an appropriate amount of work for their work-life balance. Exactly. So I guess you're having more people in reserves to kind of fill in. Absolutely. Because obviously it's, you're open, how many days? Is it seven days? Seven days a week, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yep. Yeah. 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 And open late till all the way till yeah, 2 a.m. Yeah, that's one of our, our big things. I mean, it's yeah. not not only is the patty, but I mean, we serve food late. I mean, if you, like I'll ask you guys, you, you live in the area. On a, on a Wednesday night at 9 o'clock, you're hungry and you need, like to say you missed dinner. Where would you go get something to eat? Appetite's on main. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> if, if, you know, if that wasn't an option, no, though, it, I mean, it's right, not yeah. that. In this uh, area, like I said, like my wife's from Florida and like out there, it's like, yeah, everything's open till 11, 12, 2, whatever. You can buy ga beer at the gas station till like 2 a.m. It's amazing. But yeah. Around here, it's like yeah, that's old rare. lady village. Everything's buttoned up at eight, yeah, nine o'clock. Absolutely, and even more so, I think you know after COVID and stuff like that too. Mm -hmm. Like I said, that's one of the things that we we did not now. Yeah, we used to be open at two. We serve food at one thirty every night. Now it's midnight and twelve thirty on the weekends, but still we're still serving food later. And and it's a full menu. It's not like a late night menu. And I think that's a huge huge draw for us for sure. I mean, I mean people and we don't close early. Like I will not unless weather is a huge factor. I do not. So people know they will come and we will not close. We're not going to shut the doors because we're there's nobody's there at 10 30 like we don't do that we hold our hours and that's another thing my dad instilled in me i mean i another funny story is like when i used to work mondays you know nights when we first opened first year i mean i'll call my dad i'm the dad i'm here by myself watching a movie there's no one here should we close he's like hold your hours hold your hours i'll never forget it a year later you know, every Monday night, full bar till 2 a.m. I mean, you know, mm. it's just, and like, you just like, it just, that taught me so, and that's instilled in me. Like, we will not, like my managers know, we do not, we, we will close at midnight. We do not close at 11.59. If somebody walks in, we will feed them. We will get them a drink or, or what have you. So Yeah, I've had experiences where I, I go, like maybe I'm trying a restaurant for the first time. I go there and it's closed. Mm -hmm. And then permanently in my mind, I, I just like don't think of that restaurant as exactly. much like yeah, moving you, forward you don't want to yeah. trust it it's it's a kiss of death i mean that's yeah. why like even for like the holiday I, I cringe a little bit when i say okay we're gonna close early tonight for the and it's important but like because i know that if somebody's coming there or like they rely on that reliability and that's one thing we've built and i just right. you have to be very careful not to not to mess with that for sure so many restaurants change their hours and i just i don't under i mean that's i just don't understand because i think that is like a bad equation you know in my like the, for what you just said there's right? places locally where i'm at in phoenix where like yeah i'm I won't name names, but I've gone there like whatever, 10, 11, 30. 
I know what time they close, and I'm really looking forward to getting that one item. And what do you know? They closed early. I've, I've been to a place where, like, as I'm walking up, knocking on the door, like, the dining room lights go off, mm-hmm. and they're not supposed to be closed. It's like, yep. mm-hmm. yeah, it's exactly. like, and Setson, yeah, I'm not going yeah. back to that trust are... them unless it's, like, you know, two in the afternoon, and I know they have to be open. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. And, yeah, you need, you need that reliability. Yep. I mean, for years, people would say, I just drove by nine restaurants because i knew you would be open like i wasn't sure they yeah. may or may not have said i knew you'd be open i mean i've heard that all the time but people said i drove an extra 10 minutes to come because i just knew there was no risk i just knew i could get something to eat i know i could get a drink and there'd be no issues you know and that's the other thing is like not making people feel that you know if you're walking to a restaurant around closing time and you kind of know they don't want you to be there yeah you know, we really try to eliminate that i mean that's the one thing i miss about being open till 2 a.m every night is we legally had to close by 2 a.m and the food till 1 30 thing so like at 2 a.m i I have no problem kicking you out because legally I have to ask you to leave. Right. You know, and I just hated going to those restaurants around like that 10 30, 11 time. And it's like, well, the kitchen doesn't want you to place their order. Like, I try to eliminate, I, I try to get my step, like, don't have that mindset. Like, we are open late and we will serve. And like, you just like, like, I tell my kitchen staff, we will serve up until until the closing. Once once it hits closing time, you will not, I promise you won't get any orders after that. But up until that, and they, they that's just part of the culture that, you know, right. I've built mm-hmm. there that, like, you know, they just, they know that. So they don't complain. Like, they just know that's part of the gig. That's that's how it is so yeah i know some places they're mopping the floors putting tables i mean chairs up on tables and stuff and you're like yep you feel bad you yep. know you feel guilty for yep. just being that's there. why i don't allow that if we have customers in the in the front or whatever i don't they're not allowed to put a chair up until until the lights come up and that lights come up at midnight you know right. yep absolutely mm-hmm. that's good so one of the last things i wanted to touch on is just the branding in general so appetites on main i mean you think of it now obviously it's a restaurant on main street but what was kind of the thought process in the creation of that? I know I'm sure your dad was kind of heading it up based off his other restaurant, but what is your guys' like theory on the brand itself? Um, I mean, I think my dad just, he was a big time eater and he loved food. And one thing I love about, excuse me, one thing I love about my menu and my name is that appetites. We are not beholden to one type of cuisine. We're not an Italian restaurant. We're not a... Asian restaurant, we're not. I mean, we are an American restaurant, but we have gyros and we have, you know, you know, Korean chicken wings. I mean, we are not. And I think that's like, that's one of the things I love is that, you know, my, the name within itself doesn't limit us to any type mm-hmm. of cuisine. We can try, we, the, the world is our oyster as far as that is concerned. And then just like, you know, the big thing is just really good comfort food at a fair value you know, in a comfortable setting. You know, the one, my, one of my favorite compliments I get is people go, I just feel comfortable here. It's so relaxed here. I love that. That's a, that to me, that's the, the best. Cause that's exactly what we want. You know what I mean? We don't want you to feel rushed. You want to come in, you know, and chill out and sit on the patio and have a beer and sit there for a couple, you know, and just enjoy mm-hmm. the music or you're watching a game. It's just like that comfortable, that, that the feeling I think is what really keeps people coming back. And that's always mm-hmm. was, you know, but again, if you don't have good food and you don't, provide the good value when i mean by like we are not the cheapest place around we're not the most expensive place around but you i want you we want you to feel good for what you paid for like hey you know what that was a good size sandwich for what i paid and like hey that drink you know i tasted the alcohol in it like because you know i will tell you like you know one of our equations also is we give a little bit of a stiffer drink than 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 most you know you have to be careful with that but we do that because i hate going into a place and i spend i don't mind spending nine dollars for a drink if i but if i sip it down in three seconds like i really didn't taste anything i feel ripped off and i that's, yeah. a, that's a, that feeling. I don't want anyone ever to feel in, in my in my restaurant. I want them to feel, hey, I don't like. Yeah, that drink was a little bit more expensive, but you know what? I, I it, it was worth the price. And that's the same thing with the food and things like that. Those are big big factors for us for sure. 
So with competitors, have you guys ever had like direct problems with a competing a competing restaurant or anyone? Um, I, I can't think of like a um, no. I can't think of like I don't I don't even know an Just, example of. Well, I mean, like people stealing stuff off your menu or uh, trying to copy or. No, I think that you know. Listen, if you're not copying i mean like no i've never gone and someone go hey that was although i want to like the q i mean the qr codes i mean that wasn't my thing i stole mm-hmm. that from someone else and then you know that's i think that's kind of how it works you know so um you know my nola fries which is one of my most com- my favorite appetizers that we have you know uh, was from our chef at the at one of our other restaurants that we i i mean i says it on my menu we brought this over here to honor the, the big easy saloon you know and that's like you know so i think that you know sometimes it's a compliment you know or, mm-hmm. or whatever um like when and i'm gonna be honest when when the competitor that's down the street from me opened up you know everyone was like oh you guys are in trouble and all it did was just bring more people to the shopping center people now park their car and go i'll go get a couple beers over there i'll come eat appetites and or vice versa and like it's just created this like this good thing and their staff comes into our place and we go in there and that's the other thing about us i think is like we are like switzerland in the sense that like you know because we're open late and we serve food late we get all restaurant people like that's one of been our biggest strengths mm-hmm. i mean I, I mentioned that i mean from day one you know my dad was smart enough to go around and like when we first opened and said he gave out coupons to all these restaurant employees because why because restaurant employees get done they get they work late right they get done they have money in their pocket they're tired they're hungry and they're thirsty you know, and where and when? Guess what? We're open later than that restaurant is, and they flock there. It's a, it's especially like on on holidays when they get rocked. They come. They just go. We love being able to come here and sit down after our shift and get waited on by someone else and have a cold beer and mm-hmm. you know some good food. And that's been like a huge huge. So so no. So I think that we it's a, it's been a good. So we know a lot of people from a lot of restaurants. So we have a really good rapport with a lot of them. For sure. That's good. Yeah, because it's. Right. A, it, it's nothing to be afraid of. You can, no. When you kind of partner with them, you can mm-hmm. all grow together. You know, Absolutely. There's Absolutely. plenty of people to feed. You know, yep. we don't need to Absolutely. worry yep. about And it. I love talking to other restaurant owners that are in the area. You know, and we share ideas. And also just, also, you, it's nice to hear that, like, you know, they're going through the same things. That it's nice to just be in that club, you know, especially COVID. It'd be like, oh, my God, you get treated that way, too? Yeah, this happened to us, too. And just makes you feel, it makes you feel better, for sure. And that, that's kind of like one of the purposes of the show is to let business owners hear the thoughts of other successful business owners, sure. you know, because sure. it's it's not I don't say an exclusive club, but there's not a whole lot of business owners that you run into in your everyday life, right, you sure, know, unless you're sure. in business networking groups. Yeah, you kind of need that mentorship of, yeah, no, most absolutely. of the time with employees. And it's just a totally different mindset when you're managing all these different departments, focusing on growth, zooming out to the, the macro picture of the business. Sure. And it super important yeah yeah especially if you're starting a business and you didn't have like a father or somebody to show you the ropes right um you kind of need to find those mentors Mm -hmm. um or at least that's what everybody says i know it's it's definitely been helpful to us like i think in our business we really started seeing growth when we got involved in networking and things like that where we were meeting other business owners and just kind of hearing you know, some of their best practices and things like that. Yeah. Did you have any other mentors besides your father who were really impactful in your business growth? I mean, no, I mean, he was my, definitely my biggest one. But I mean, again, like you pick up like, you know, every manager we've ever had, you know, like you, you know, I, I, I think of a few of them and go, hey, they weren't the greatest manager, but they, they, they changed this. And this has been a huge impactful. So people kind of leave their mark and you, and you learn from that. And that's, you know, that's a big Thing. I mean, I definitely have like my, my uncle and who's a great, just a, he's not in the restaurant business, but he's just a great businessman. And he helped me through some tough times, you know, just how to deal with it and what was happening. And, and so I would definitely say that he is and a couple 
of my dad's friends who kind of stepped in and said, hey, if you ever need anything, you ever, you know, or whatever. And I know that I can pick up the phone and call them at any time and go, hey, did you ever deal with this situation before? Or, hey, I'm renegotiating my lease or whatever. How do I, you know, and, and I listen now, I make my own decisions, but it's so nice to just hear what they have to say and kind of take and pull out what you what you think is best and, and go from there for sure. The, the number one thing is not be afraid to ask for help. I mean, you'll find that a lot of restaurant owners or not even, I mean, a lot of business owners are like, well, I'm going to do it my way. And it's like, you know, like, yeah, you have to have a little bit of belief in yourself and like, hey, you are the ultimate decision maker, but, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, to hear other people, especially people that have been through it, you know, at least, at least hear what they have to say for sure. Yeah. yeah. Are there uh, certain areas that you know, like your own weakness and you have to rely on other people, like outsource certain things or anything like that? Absolutely. I mean, I think that just like, you know, like I wasn't there from the beginning. I mean, I was there at the beginning of the business, but like the negotiations of the lease and, you know, things like that, like I'm in the process now. I'm also going to do a major renovation probably soon. Those are two things I, I'm a little feel overwhelmed about. I'm definitely going to, you know, talk, like talk, like I already have about the, the rent negotiations and things like that. I'm definitely going to, you know, like I have already brought in my uncle and stuff like that about how I should handle stuff like that. And definitely renovations, you know, I'm going to bring in a professional who's kind of hopefully done this before and can walk me through the steps for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, well, that pretty much covers most of the content. Um, I kind of want to wrap up with you. If you had any tips or advice you want to give to maybe someone who's thinking of starting a restaurant or someone who's in a restaurant that is not doing well, like what would you give advice wise to someone who's trying to grow or thinking of entering the industry? That's good. I thought a lot about that. I would say that, um, you know, when you're going to open up, uh, if you're going to think about opening up a restaurant, I, I already talked about the capitalization, like just, you know, try to be, just try to, uh, don't be undercapitalized because it will take you forever to climb out of it. But I would say that one thing I tell people is like, you have to offer something, like what will separate you from the restaurant down the street? You have to not only ask that question, you have to be able to answer it. You know, like I would say that, hey, what separates appetites on Maine? Hey, we allow dogs on our patio. We have a doggy menu or we serve food late. You know, um, we have a huge outdoor open air patio. Not everybody has those things. You need to, whether it's food, whether it's atmosphere, something that will separate you that will go, hey, you know what? I can only get that there. And um, that means that people will come. That's a big thing. And that's not, and don't get me wrong, that's not an easy question to answer. But like when you go and you're just going to do the same thing everybody else is doing or just the same, you're going to have a hard time standing out. And that, that's a big, that's a big thing. You know, if you're a struggling restaurant person and you're like, hey, like don't be afraid to change, you know, who you are. And, and how you're doing things, you know, and just, and also, and just watch every penny, like make sure that you're really, that you're there a lot and you're managing and you're watching your costs and like, cause it could just be absenteeism that is ruining your business. So just make sure if your business is struggling, that you're hands on and you are there and you're watching everything that's going on. Yeah. That's going to take time and commitment, but it's your business. And if you want it to succeed, like, cause I had to put my, I mean, when I was, when appetites first opened, I mean, thank God I already met my, I mean, my, it was my, at the time my fiance and I are, because I had no time. I was there 80, 90. I mean, I was like, I was like, I don't know when my next day off was. I just woke up, I went into the restaurant and whatever the day mm -hmm. brought to me, you know, and that's how you learn. And all of a sudden you get into systems. Okay. This is starting to repeat and you kind of get comfortable. Okay. I can take this day off or this time slow. And like you, you, you learn that, but, it, but you have to live it, eat it, breathe it. You just have to be there and absorb everything that's happening until you kind of, there's no, there's not as many surprises often, I guess is a good, good way to say that. Okay. I think that's, that sounds really good. Um, we appreciate all your expert opinions and stories.
Cool. Anything you want to promote going on the summer at Appetites or uh, in general? I think we did a pretty good job of that, you know, <laughs> but just, uh, you know, come sit outside, you know, uh, get a delicious Reuben, bring your dog with you and, uh, you know, come in late, come in after you see a movie at the movie tavern and, you know, we'll treat you well. That's it. Okay. All Thanks right. very much, Brad. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you guys. Stories from the Top is your guide to successful business development. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find Edge of Cinema on YouTube. Stories from the Top is an Edge of Cinema production hosted by Matthew Skura and Jeremy Schmidt. To learn more or get in touch, visit edgeofcinema.com slash podcast.